The following program contains strong language and is intended only for mature audiences. Yo, 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 one, two, one, two, one, two, the Get Off My Lawn podcast is back in effect. I hate to be talking over these vocals, but uh, I was afraid to just cut this song off because we know that East Coast Dre is very, very sensitive to any type of disruption to the hip-hop continuum. Man, but no, nah, it's good. It's good. It's good. We can, we can rock. We can rock. There's certain, there's certain beats you just can't stop. You just can't stop someone. You gotta keep it rocking. You gotta keep it going. We can't interrupt the flow. I hear you. So I learned my lesson. That was episode like number one. Like right, right off the bat, you yeah. checked me. Like <laughs> I heard, I understood. But uh, ladies and gentlemen, be boys, be girls, be men, be women. The Get Off My Lawn podcast is back in effect. This is Jay, a.k.a. JC, a.k.a. Jay Caesar, a.k.a. Law T, a.k.a. The Hip Hop Taliban. That's where you can find me on Twitter, at Hip Hop Taliban. And, as you heard, the person keeping watch, making sure that I spin things in their entirety to his satisfaction east coast dre what's up what was up now, i didn't say everything has to be in its entirety you just there's certain beats there's certain classics you can't interrupt you just got to keep it going man this is andre cole at andre cole everywhere in the word, world word black up black cloud word up and we have our man preparing for south carolina democratic whatever <laughs> i mean 
him i didn't i didn't think we'd be able to get him on the podcast tonight i figured that him and jim clyburn i figured their schedules would be booked like they're the two preeminent south carolina political brothers that i think of when i think south carolina when i think politics i think jim clyburn but when i want to get contemporary i think about my man the professor adolphus bell jr what's up peace peace glad to be back on man um you know i guess they got tired of a brother talking about the centrality of white supremacy and the importance of black women voters so on to the next one i guess <laughs> yeah that might have been a little too high brow for uh this this political season did you Matt, that's not even that? high brow or low brow it's just brow well that's true that's true <laughs> but in looking at the electorate or at least the <laughs> the choices the electorate has to select from it's making me shake my head i don't know what in the world i just watched with that republican debate was it last night? I, know, I just, I just. Every debate it. is a battle royale, and when people get desperate, they do desperate things. <laughs> if yep. anyone else, if any of these other candidates had won three consecutive contests and was polling as strongly as the Donald in the upcoming states, there yeah. would be an air of inevitability to the way they talked about that person's candidacy. But because it's Trump and people want him to fail, they're like, well, somebody still might catch him. It's like rooting for Bo Jackson to trip over his shoelaces at the five yard line. Fumble. <laughs> but the I mean, thing is, because it's Trump, you know, he might blow it. So you never know what he's going to do. You know, I mean, he's unpredictable. I'm in California and Schwarzenegger was governor twice. So mm-hmm. I can't say Nah, Trump will, you know, Trump, the, you know, Obama, I heard him say, the American people, I believe them. <laughs> they won't, you know. No, the American people like to be entertained, like Gladiator. Yeah, and before Schwarzenegger in California, it was Ronald Reagan. Yeah. Right. You know, he was right. Screen Actors Guild and Hollywood win one for the giver. Yeah. Know, America has an infatuation with celebrities. Yeah, I'm not putting anything past the Donald. I always took this this seriously, and I mean, I remember from when Ronald Reagan became president, and my father sitting in the. I remember distinctly sitting in the living room. My father, he's watching the television, and my father looks at his look at TV, pissed off, and says, "This damn Joker." And I was just like, you know, I'm a kid, so I'm not understanding, you know, why he was so mad that Ronald Reagan became president, and then you know. I mean, it was a joke when George W. Bush was running. He was like, not this guy. He was, you know, he had, he was a failed baseball owner. So how how you can't run a baseball team? But yeah, but at least, and everybody laughed. At everybody least when laughed. he came off of that, right? In between being a failed baseball owner and becoming president, he was the governor of Texas. You know, right. at least there's something big on the resume in between, right? Your man yeah. Donald Trump goes from yelling, you're fired to running off victories in New Hampshire, South Carolina, Nevada, you know, it's wild. Racist talk, xenophobic talk, like this dude, man, sexist talk, 
talking about he could shoot somebody in the middle of Fifth Avenue and not lose any voters. Apparently, he's right. I, I mean, people better take this seriously. I'm not messing with this at all. I mean, he has said everything. Like, I don't everything. think there's anything more outrageous he could say. I mean, I'm sure he'll find a way, but when you run well, down see, the list. To me, the beauty of it all, right, is that this could be anticipated. One of my mentors was a scholar by the name of Ron Walters. And Ron Walters wrote a book in 2003 called White Nationalism, Black Interest. And in that book, he made the argument that if racism continues to influence and impact every other aspect of our society, you'd be foolish to think that it doesn't influence our politics and policy. And he made the point that if you go back and look at when black folk and their allies have been able to make advances to bend this society toward you know freedom justice equality there's always been a blowback so you get the de- you get the reconstruction after the civil war and then you get the deconstruction the ku klux klan all this right. other stuff pushing people back you get the civil rights movement of the 60s, 50s and 60s there's advancement and then you get reaganism pushing right. it all back you get obama in 2008 and here we are 2009 tea party and now Trump, there's always a blowback. And so Trump is the candidate that white nationalism and rage produced. And he is gleefully offering himself up to them as their champion. And so, you know, to put two and two together, one of the reasons why I think it's important to talk about these things on this particular podcast is that art can be and has been political especially black art and creativity and there was a time when man hip-hop would be all over this you know hip-hop would be all over this sort of talking back to the society and telling us things that we really needed to hear and trying to hip us to things that we really needed to see and that's not necessarily where we are right now no, definitely we're here shit. We're here shit. I mean, and if you if you do hear it, I mean, you have to conduct the type of you know deep internet searches that most people, uh, especially people in our uh, peer group, are not interested or willing to do uh, because we have we have responsibilities, we have duties, we have. Uh, families and other mm-hmm. obligations well i'm not even talking about music i'm just talking about simple statements and i mean i mean we we just talked about uh yasin before and i mean he's the only rapper that i know of recently that said anything directly about donald trump there might have been a one or two other i mean chuck d on twitter there well, may be Killer one Mike. or two Killer Killer Mike's Mike. campaigning with bernie but yeah. Killer Mike is going to paint it with somebody. So, right. so you're going to, I mean, it's not, you're not talking about directly our, just talking from our perspective for our community, you know, get this guy the fuck out of here. He's right. talking about, he's, I mean, we don't have anybody saying that hip-hop, in our community. Hip hop was so deep into the politics. Like, if you look at when the Clintons emerged nationally, yeah. part of the way they emerged was by repudiating. Yeah. Black voters and black interests, and most especially hip hop. Yep. Soul you know, they, they 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 shook it, they shook up with Jesse Jackson and sort of brushed him back off the plate. 
and then they went after Sister Soldier. Yeah, yeah. You know, now you'd be hard pressed. Like you really have to go out looking for it, right? Whereas before it would have been brought to you, you would have been able to avoid it. And what's ubiquitous now? You know, you can call me on my cell phone <laughs> <laughs> late night when you need. I mean, your man parlayed that into being like the unofficial mayor of the NBA All Star Weekend. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I like you, Drake, but goodness gracious, somebody gotta say something. Well, dude, you see the power of it all when Beyonce can do what she did with Formation and play the Super Bowl, and then Kendrick can follow that up. You know at the Grammys that was incredible I only saw that uh, just the other day um, because I heard that he opened up the show the Kendrick Lamar at the Grammys and Mm -hmm. I just presumed because I've long since stopped watching the Grammys um, I just figured he'd come out there do a little medley and then bounce and someone was like no no did you see it did you see it and I went back and watched it and yeah, I was kind of blown away that at this point in time that, you know, hip hop has someone uh, doing that type of work on, especially on that type of stage. Yeah. And at an earlier point, he would have had a lot more company. And that's the thing. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not novel that someone in hip hop or R&B, for that matter, would speak about things that matter. The novelty now is that it seemed to be so few people doing it or it doesn't break through. And so, you know, you break down to the Beyonce performance, you know, Saturday afternoon, she releases a video. The next day she performs at the Super Bowl and people are still releasing thought pieces on her performance. You had law enforcement unions and officials blaming her performance for inciting violence against police. And then Sean King at the Daily News came back at them like, well, of the eight officers tragically killed in the line of duty, seven have been murdered by whites. I doubt they were listening to Beyonce or Kendrick Lamar. Right. And I mean, and even her song isn't even a political song. Like it's political for us. It's a very pro us song. The video has pro us imagery. But if you listen to the words of that song, it's, you know, it's kind of a party jam and she's talking about people talking bad about her and her family and you know all ladies get together and all the ladies have power it's it's a beyonce song it's her version of 99 problems though man she right went at exactly people for criticizing her husband's features talking about her daughter's hair right you know like first line y'all haters kill me with this illuminati mess you right. know it's her version of 99 problems but, but the when cops you talk come, about the, the cops imagery, are coming out talking about it the cops are coming out talking about it like she's saying you know down with the police when that doesn't even come up in the song yeah there's nothing in there that's like you off can tell, the pigs right that's that's how you can tell they're not listening to the music they're seeing the video and seeing the little boy dancing against the cops or you're seeing her laying on top of a car and you know in a ninth ward and, and filled with water and then they take they taking that as oh she's saying down with the police they're not listening well, to it and, and, you know, you got to put the video with the song in the Super Bowl performance. They come out in the Super Bowl and she's dressed paying tribute to Michael Jackson at his Super Bowl performance. Mm-hmm. And then they're in the Bay, right? So they're in the Bay. It's yep. the 50th anniversary year of the Panthers. Yep. And her all black dance troupe and band come out in afros and berets in all black gorilla fashion. Yeah. And then afterward, they released a picture, I think, on Instagram 
talking about you know justice for the brother that got shot in broad daylight oh, on the yeah, San Francisco streets yeah. right yeah. so yeah it was a big political statement even if the content of the song itself wasn't political in the traditional sense for hip-hop right. then you look at Kendrick's performance Kendrick also came out paying tribute to Michael Jackson and you know people clown Michael because of the skin and everything else but a lot of his work was openly political and so you look at how Kendrick was rocking it they were dressed like the prison version of the video for they don't care about us wow yeah you know and so they're out there in chains looking like they're wearing prison uniforms and then he just goes off right and then he yeah, does incredible. we gonna be alright yeah incredible see this is the so, thing this is clearly we're we're getting uh <laughs> right into the the meat and the heart of what uh today's topic is going to be because it's interesting that you have Kendrick you have Beyonce two huge stars in R&B and hip hop uh respectively and the question is why would their success why would their uh I guess approach to using the music in and the videos in this uh, overtly political way why would that not trickle down spill in spill over influence their peers and before you answer I just want to say that we're having this discussion and it's clearly important but as i mentioned earlier a lot of you know when we get together on this podcast we have this discussion i don't know that i have these types of discussions about hip hop with anyone else unless we are talking about this podcast and i think that's part of the problem but just so that I'm not seeing everything from my point of view, do you guys have discussions about hip hop? Out, you know, when outside of the two hours we do this uh, podcast. Well, I'll I, take I, it. Oh, go ahead, go ahead, Dre. Oh well, I mean, I think the <clears throat> the majority of the hip hop discussions that I may entertain um, will happen on Twitter, um, mm-hmm. and it's usually with people who are on the rap blogs or rap bloggers or um you know a couple of guys like you know the combat jacks those guys who have podcasts and so you know the conversations might come up um but it's usually not you know it's usually of the recent stuff so it's your, your reflections on kanye's album or futures three or four projects and drake or what meek mill are doing and you know and the night that Con, um that uh kendrick killed at the grammys it was big all over Twitter where everybody talking about the fact that he made this political statement the way he made it. But I mean, the conversations aren't political. You have political conversations on Twitter about rap music, but rap music is so devoid of politics that you don't really get a chance to. Yeah. And see, and, and on my side, you know, I'm a professional educator. I'm on the university campus. I'm surrounded by young people on a regular basis and they know that 
I'm into hip hop, right? And they also know that I'm a bit of a hip hop snob. And the reason I'm a hip hop snob is that I'm old enough to be able to take the long view. And I grew up in a place where I had a window seat to be able to watch hip hop emerge and develop and grow, and then had access to a platform like Video Music Box, where I was able to consume hip hop from all across the country. At a time when on the radio, New York was very New York centric. And so I'm able to take this view where I have a longitudinal perspective, where I could see across time, and I have a broad perspective where I could see across space and geography. So they always try to bring stuff to me like, okay, given what we know about you, Dr. Bell, we think you should listen to this artist. Like, you know, I had a student who first put me on the Kanye West a decade ago. Okay. You know, I have students that come up to me and tell me about things that they think are hot right now that they think kind of pass the muster or pass the test when it comes to being more politically, socially, culturally aware. I see. But a lot of the stuff they listen to now, man, they want to be entertained. Right. You know, they want they want to be entertained. They want to have fun and they put a greater premium on that than to have people who can sort of like build with them and help them understand things. And see, this is the the point. I mean, we can just we might as well just stay right here in the uh, discussion. But the larger topic that I was wondering about is does hip hop have the power to influence behavior to uh, shape one's political cultural and social views and the the question came up because I have a friend who someone just put her on to The Walking Dead so she began at the episode one season one and has been watching them sort of binge watching trying to get caught up and she likes the show but then she stopped watching and said that there was too much violence and she felt like it was uh, desensitizing her to violence and it had a negative impact on uh, the people who watched. And she and I got into this discussion because like the arguments I've heard about video games and rap right. music going back, you know, violent movies uh, since forever, there's a certain segment of society and people who will argue that, yeah, this exposure to these violent images, these violent lyrics, these uh, foul uh, rap songs, these ridiculous uh, movies where everything's blowing up and people are getting shot and now The Walking Dead desensitizes you to violence. Um, my argument has always been if that really were the case, if it, if this uh, movies and music and video games had the power to influence my behavior with all that I've consumed, I would be a raping, pillaging, gun-toting, drive-by <laughs> shooting, gang-banging. Rudeness-tooting this cowboy in the West. <laughs> exactly. 
<laughs> and so, so I told her that, yeah, the show does, after a while, it desensitizes me to violence against actors dressed up as zombies. But in the real world, I'm not uh, anymore desensitized to actual violence. And when I've encountered it in uh, recent years, then I've had to act whether that meant stepping in to try to bring some uh, peace and calm to the situation or calling the police, whatever it may be. Um, I didn't feel desensitized. So we had this discussion, this argument, but then I started thinking about hip hop. And when I was younger, hip hop definitely influenced and changed my political and social views. And to this day, I know that uh, Public Enemy, that KRS-One, BDP, Stetsasonic, all of those groups and those messages that I absorbed, all of those songs that spoke to a reality that if I wasn't experiencing firsthand, I was aware of. All of that definitely had an impact on me and changed my views. So I'm wondering if now when kids and people are consuming this uh, rap music that's very heavy on conspicuous consumption and very light on uh, seriousness, uh, well, seriousness as it pertains to uh, political themes, and other socially conscious uh, themes. Is this having an impact? And if so, what would it be? Or do they just simply brush it off as, as Adolphus said, hey, I'm being entertained. Well, I can, I can say this um, as, a, as a social scientist in general, political scientist in particular. A lot of that... A lot of those arguments about the connection between violent video games and films and behavior, those things have been discredited in social scientific experiments, right? Mm -hmm. So it's an argument that has appeal because intuitively it sounds correct, even though the research doesn't support it. And people still believe it. And that's the thing about some ideas. They can be so stubborn that they're hard to remove. But to your larger point, you know, in, in political psychology, you know, when we learn about how people acquire attitudes about politics and society, there are things that work on us and influence us. They're called agents of socialization. So, you know, our earliest attitudes about politics and society are shaped by our family members, most especially our parents. So if your parents were liberal democrats then chances are you're going to be a liberal democrat if your parents were conservative republicans yeah don't be surprised when you're talking about ronald reagan was right and you know i'm ready to vote for pick whatever republican candidate but there are other things as we get older social groups and peer groups become more influential the mass media um, political conditions and events so if you're like our generation and particularly our generation of urban black people if you grew up in the in the 80s and 90s and your city was hit by crack cocaine, HIV AIDS, the emergence of hip hop is on a positive side, then yeah, those things might influence your attitudes. You know, if you were in LA in the 90s and then the riots hit, 
yeah, that's going to have an influence on the way that you think about government, the police, the society. Um, but those are general things, right? When you talk about black folk, other agents also become important, like participation in social movements, if it was the civil rights movement then or Black Lives Matter now, and then music. There's a big thing about message music in terms of black political socialization. In the civil rights movement, they took those church songs and adapted them and made them movement songs. You had people like Curtis Mayfield making movement music. James Brown, say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud. So music does have the potential to influence people's attitudes in the sense that it can make us more aware of things that we may not have ever considered. So Chuck D was right when he said that hip hop is black people's CNN and it can still serve that function but people don't always use the art form to its fullest potential. Right. But see that, but see, that's the thing because I had a, a journalism professor who said that, um, the media doesn't tell you what to think. It tells you what to think about. And that's false. <laughs> makes it, well, it all depends. <laughs> and I think that hip hop, you know, Perhaps there's some of that going on. It doesn't tell you. It doesn't. It doesn't tell you what to think. But if you listen to and consume enough of it, then perhaps you get an idea of, oh, this is what's important. This is what I should be thinking about. And again, I understand your argument that those theories have been discredited, and and. You know, what I'm about to bring up is purely anecdotal, and I know that's uh, of no use to uh, prove any type of point on a larger scale. But everyone of our generation who came up when hip hop had political themes and uh, a lot of it had more of a social. Okay, somebody's got something that's clicking. Yeah, I'm working on that. Oh, okay, okay. (laughs) But everybody of our generation I've asked uh, about this topic in the last week or so, um, you know, tell me a a hip-hop song that sort of shaped your social political views. And they rattled something off, whether it was a public enemy song or something from The Coup or... um, any any number of groups, X Clan, um, KRS One, BDP, and you can go down the list. So, if you ask people, they'll give you this answer. But I know we can't use that to say that the music created a socially conscious generation of people. But didn't it? Well, to your point, right? Yes the media can give us things to think about, right? They can set the agenda for public and or political conversations. But then there are these other influences of framing and priming. So if I think about coverage, for example, of Hurricane Katrina and some of the images that were released and then how they were captioned, there was an image of a young black man with locks wading in chest high water. And the caption was that he had stolen food. And then, you know, a couple of images over, Two younger but older than this fellow, white folk, white male, white female, wading in chest high water, 
saying that they had found food. Mm. That's telling me what to think. <laughs> That's telling me what to think. I look at, and this is a, you know, a dubious example because I wouldn't consider Breitbart.com part of the respectable press. But when Dylan Roof murdered those churchgoers in Charleston, South Carolina, like a coward, Mm -hmm. when he killed them after they bowed their heads and closed their eyes to pray at the end of their Wednesday service, they talked about him as a suspect. They said suspect named, you know, Dylan Roof. Right. When that when that brother went off the rails in Virginia and killed those people live on television, mm-hmm. big giant font, race murder in Virginia, black man kills white co-workers on live television. That's telling me what to think. That's giving me something to think about, drawing my attention to a particular set of facts or a particular narrative and then trying to get me to accept that narrative as it has been presented to me. So I think your instructor back in the day was right, but that's how the responsible people would do it. They give you something to think about and let you come to your own conclusion after you sift and weigh evidence. But then, and especially now, people generate opinion. Opinion can be produced, opinion can be manipulated if you're irresponsible and brazen. And so when we bring it back to music, Music can do the same thing. There are artists that can pull our coat and say, hey, well, have you considered this? There are others where they can put it out there and say, nah, this is how it is. And this is how it's going to be. And you can get with it and get gone. But do you think that the because clearly, I mean, with like just the presence of I'm looking at a as we speak, I'm looking at a. uh, Public Enemy poster and there's Farrakhan, there's Black Panthers the presence, the influence of whether it be Farrakhan and his uh, sort of nationalist rhetoric uh, the Black Panthers and the sort of uh, iconic images that were reflected by a lot of the you know, artists that sort of took that more militant path. I'm thinking of, uh, say, a Paris or uh, many others. Didn't that influence our generation with regard to, uh, if you want to say, elevating our consciousness? It, uh, it, it, it had to. I'm sorry, did I cut you off? No, 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 no. I'm, no go ahead. I, I, yeah, I my, it, I, go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I think that the prevalence of that stuff during when we came up so in those the late 80s to the mid 90s to the well the early 90s having that stuff as an option gave us stuff to think about so it's a, it's it's what it's the topics that you that you have you have to think about so in these days the mass and mass media is so much bigger than it was when we were young so the the children of today the younger generation the millennials they are inundated with so many images, so much to do, so much to read. And if they had more of, you know, somebody talking about Farrakhan or somebody talking about, you know, nationalism, or Marcus Garvey, it would be an option for them. 
but they have less of that in all the mass they're consuming. So you don't have all of that. So I, I think, yes, it did. I think it impacted who we thought about or who we want to think about, or who we want to see or what we want to, to learn about. I mean, these days you have more, I think you have more in hip hop, more rappers talking about lean or talking about um, not really cars much anymore, but they still speak about cars yeah. um, and, and talking about, you know, Twitter and talking about Instagram and you going down about in the DMs, right. going down in the DMs. <laughs> Shout out to Yo Gotti. Um, th- these guys, you, you have people talking about these things, but if if these guys talked to, and, and mentioned anything in the political arena, if they mentioned any stuff about Marcus Garvey, they talked about C.J. Walker, if they talked about any stuff, it would be that thing where somebody would would want to think about it. these young people would want to think about it or say what is what are they talking about? When I heard Chuck D say Far- talk about Farrakhan, I was like, wait, you know, I'd heard his name, but I was like, well, what's he talking? What does he mean? What's he referring to? So it right. made me want to go back and research and find out what is he talking about. I want to know what that lyric meant because I mean, these lyrics, you know, what they mean right off the jump because they're talking about things that are right now. It's, it's rare that there's a lyric that talks about something that's political that you want to research. And I'm not saying that because I'm older and I've researched a ton of shit. I'm saying that they're not giving the kids anything to research. They're not deeming like if you oh I want to know what lean is. Oh, that's yeah. you know fucking codeine and sprite or whatever the hell. See when my my thoughts are a little disjointed. I'm noticing because on one hand I know that what Adolphus is saying is true. And then I know that from my experience, it's true. Right. But then my hip-hop experience tells me that that planted a seed in me that germinated and led me in a particular direction. Because even if you take something as simple as the Africa medallions. Yep. Just think I mean, about that. It's like it made me... Not that I didn't, because, again, my parents and home life were fine, and I already had, you know, a good sense of self-esteem, but hip-hop led me to take pride in myself, my culture. We had, even we had that period when the uh, the historical black college hoodies were yeah. the thing. Yeah, yeah. That... Hip hop, hip hop, the Africa medallions, yeah. hip hop. Yeah. Like, like you were saying about Farrakhan, you know, I wasn't going to listen to a, a Savior's Day cassette. I didn't have a satellite to get the feed live from Chicago. Right. Public enemy. <laughs> right. I mean, when they're talking yeah. about uh, Marcus Garvey, when um, KRS One, you must learn. You know, Shem mm-hmm. was a black man in Africa. If you know this fact, they can't laugh at you. Like, really? Oh, some of that stuff I would go to Sunday school with and be like, yo, Shem was a black man in Africa. <laughs> what? <laughs> but, but I take your point, right? We're talking about art and the power of art to socialize. Um, you know, last year about this time, I was at a conference in Atlanta, National Black, a National Conference of Black Political Scientists had their annual meeting in Atlanta and Sonia Sanchez was the keynote speaker. And, you know, Sonia Sanchez made the point that people would always describe the black arts movement 
as the artistic arm of the Black Power Movement. And she was like, no, the Black Power Movement was the political arm of the Black Arts Movement. Hmm. You know, that the art was informing the politics. Yeah. And so I don't see a great deal of difference between what spoken word poets were doing of her generation. So Sonia Sanchez, Nikki Giovanni, the last poets, Gil Scott Heron, R&B artists like Marvin Gaye, and then later hip hop artists. I mean, you know, when when Tupac on Keep Your Head Up says, I remember um, when Marvin Gaye used to sing to me, he had me feeling like black was the thing to be. Mm-hmm. It was message music. Yeah. And message music can raise your consciousness or awareness about things. And it might even motivate you to get involved and motivate you to get involved in particular ways. It resonates with each of us differently, but it has the capacity to do that. And so there is a thing about message music and the influence of message music on black behavior. When you're bombarded as children by images that black is ugly, black is terrible, black is evil, parochial, and then somebody comes along and starts talking about black is beautiful, black and proud, yeah, that's gonna move you. You know, that's gonna move you because it's something that's affirming. Right. And so, yeah, I think that there's a history in black music, black art, of doing those sorts of things and hip hop has been a part of it. But, you know, we're at the point now where people are interested in doing different things and that's where we had that long conversation about the influence of money in hip hop. Yeah. You know, and the influence of corporate money in hip hop where rather than people creating art that's a reflection of where they are, people are being told and influenced to create a certain type of art for profit. Yeah. But see, even if you make that argument, I think that the fact that you have a Kendrick Lamar who, uh, especially among this generation of rappers, clearly one of the most uh, politically, culturally, socially conscious in terms of using the art uh, for something beyond... Uh, making songs and he's extremely popular but see I don't think that the average rapper uh, Young Thug for example has the intellectual capacity to replicate what Kendrick Lamar is doing in his own way I think that well, Kendrick a lot seems of, to be special yeah I, but see I think a lot of the the rappers that we listen to, the De La Souls, the Tribe Called Quest, came up as parents of that, or children of the post-civil rights generation, and and again, pre-sort of crack, when a lot of the, the messages that were being uh, put forth on the records, a lot of that probably came from home. Because where else, where else were they getting this? And it seems, and this is just sort of a theory I'm throwing out with no uh, support, that as we get into these generations post-crack, post-crime bill, post-mass incarceration, the rappers who are getting the opportunity to make records don't have the intellectual depth to make music of 
a serious political nature, the majority. Yeah, I mean, there are the killer mics, there are the Kendricks, but they appear to be fewer and farther between. Uh, some well, people are more interested in escapism, I guess. And, and also, I mean, yeah, I think definitely people are interested in escapism. And it's also, you know, how that pendulum swings. So you have that time when everything's about party music and this is what you're getting. But I, I agree with you as far as what, what you get from home and the education of the rappers, because J. Cole, is, I think, is an example of that, of making this yeah. very intelligent music. You know, he's known as the guy who went to St. John's, and while he was going to St. John's University, he was hustling, trying to get a record deal. And you know, I know people who went to school with him was like, and so when he was, you know, trying to break through, I kept hearing his name. J. Mm. Cole, oh, you know, he, he goes to St. John's, you should try to listen to his music. And, you know, and he was a smart guy. And it came from his parents of, you know, ha- wanting to do something else. I was, I actually just li- looked at, um, just before we started talking, I looked at a paper that my daughter left with a breakdown of her school and, you know, what the students' intentions are, the seniors' intentions are, and whether or not they were going to college or what they were going to do after, after they graduated from high school. And I was pissed off just now before I got on this phone call because it was like 58% of planning to go to a four four year college. I was like 58%. Mm. I mean, my my high school and I granted I went to Bronx Science, it was specialized high school. It was 98%. Right, right. Actually, it was actually it was 99% and 98% actually went. Right. And so it, it's the education. It's in, and my daughter has a different form of. Sure, she listens to she listens to a lot of pop music, but she also has, you know, the father who when she goes in the basement has a big red, black, and green flag, the same one I had in college, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> nice. on the wall. On the nice. wall, like it's yeah. you know the same flag as I don't know if you guys remember <laughs> the yeah, same blackness flag on confirms the, right. Right, on the wall, <laughs> like you know, and you know, and a strong black mother who's in her in her ass about you know getting stuff right and you know and the parents who when her history teacher said that oh my favorite uh confederate general was i forgot what who it was at this point yeah and we and we and we went to the damn school and had a meeting and read and i read his ass the rights wow about what about what he was what he was talking about to my child to my black child and his favorite, you know, and so it does come from the parents giving these people, you know, and obviously, you know, we know Kendrick's very close to his parents and them kind of placing them in a place, you know, he has them on, on the, on the records and they saying very positive things about black community. And, you know, maybe it's the influence of crack or not. Like you said, maybe it's the influence of mass incarceration or maybe, and coupled with these people are making these records about drugs, about crime, about you know, being in a trap, this is what they see. And you have a whole generation of kids who can feel that because that's, they know that too. That's what they that's what they grew up seeing. Their yeah, parents and, may and, not have pushed them. And so to it's, connect it to the point that we were making earlier, man, um when we when you look at who we are now, like our socialization doesn't end. It continues to evolve, right? Mm-hmm. And when you're young, like your daughter's age, family. Yeah, And as a family, you guys are developing within her a certain set of characteristics and attitudes so that she can be prepared to step into the world as a young adult and function effectively and make power moves. Right. But as you get older, other things become more important. 
And so because we are men of a certain age from particular spaces, community matters too. You know, and so those right. things are going to influence people and they then influence their work. You know, they influence the kind of things that I decided to write about as a scholar, the kind of things I decided to teach about as an educator. And if right. you're talking about creatives, it's going to influence the sort of music that they make, the art that they produce. Um, like this moment with police brutality and misconduct is going right. to create a lot of art. It's going yep. to create a lot of scholarship. And that stuff's going to influence and shape that next generation. Look at how many people were talking about that episode of Blackish this week. Oh, my goodness. And it was masterful for being hard hitting and nuanced and reflecting hard conversations that black people are having amongst themselves about how we survive this. And then how do we challenge it? You know, I have a friend from grad school, Morgan State undergrad, UMD. Um, grad school and she was like being black ain't the problem being black's not the burden white supremacy is the problem amen and so yeah this moment's gonna make some art man and so i'm waiting to see what happens but when we look at what's already happening it's kind of encouraging man that in mainstream platforms from beyonce to kendrick lamar to blackish that people are talking about things that matter again right yeah i mean People are having those conversations, and yeah, Beyonce, uh, you know, started some of that conversation. Kendrick's performance started some of that conversation. Blackish uh, started some of that conversation. But in terms of hip hop, where's it going to come from? Like, I don't have the same level of optimism that uh, Kendrick being political. Uh, Quali's still being out there. Killer Mike uh, being involved heavily in, uh, you know, the Sanders campaign. I have no optimism that that's going to any of this is going to translate into uh, a difference with the music. Because now if we go back to if we want to take it back all the way to Trayvon Martin is sort of the, you know, right. Then we got Oscar Grant and just the list goes on and on and on. So now we're going back a few years. So even if we say that there's a cycle to the music, by now we should be hearing it. If we were going to, I mean, we're at the point where I can, which is the most insane thing that when you just stop and think about it, I can go on YouTube and look up videos of the police murdering unarmed black men. Just right. uh, click on it like that. And just watch it. And there were, in most cases, no real repercussions. But and we're I not think, even having trials anymore. Nah. You know, <laughs> at nah. least in 92, those officers went to trial in L.A. Yeah. Or Simi, Simi Valley. They had right. the trial in Simi right. Valley you know, pro-cop community, right? But they went to trial. You know, mm-hmm. Amadou Diallo, they went to trial. Abner Louima, they went to trial. Now you can't even get an indictment to go to the trial. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, if we were going to hear it, I think we would have heard it. But there's got to be some larger reason why we're not hearing it. And I can't believe that it is still record companies saying 
no, don't make this kind of music or we won't be able to put out your record because people are going around that process. And even if even if the record companies are saying, what's hot? What's hot? How many Grammys did Kendrick Lamar just win? Seven? Eleven? Something like that? Right. Five. I think it's five. But I just don't think that... I think you have to have a certain... Um, well, upbringing, educational background, and social conscience to be able to create the kind of music that so heavily influenced us. And due to any number of, uh, you know, social factors that I'm sure we could touch on, the generation of, and predominantly it's black males, black male rappers who are coming up don't have those uh, political capabilities. The best of them sometimes seem to be a mile wide and an inch deep. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think they're also scared, too. So they're scared. They're they're scared to be the person... If you're scared, scared say you're scared. (laughs) I think they're scared to be the person who comes into the party and says... Listen, brother. Let's talk about let's talk about uh, Black Lives Matter right now. They're they're afraid to walk into the party and do it. They're afraid to do that. They're f- because they don't want to be the wet blanket. They don't. They're afraid mm-hmm. to be appear to be the wet blanket in this whole party era. So you know, everybody wants to talk about whatever they want to talk about as far as you know, lean or just having fun or or, or snap snapping or you know in the trap but they're afraid to go out and and and, and say something else now the kids i'm saying kids but the generation today the millennials today they're, they're not necessarily getting the, the politics from the music they're getting the politics from everything else they're inundated with so you know it's the twitter and you know black twitter and snapchat sometimes and so they, they're getting they're seeing it but the rappers are not given the music isn't given to them as we're talking about the music i mean if you guys heard Dr. Dre's album, like Dr. Dre's yeah. album had so much political stuff on it. I was like, mm-hmm. I was in shock. And yeah. and I shouldn't have been in shock because this is the same guy who produced Straight Outta Compton. Right. But to hear it was like, yo, he made a straight political album. It was like the majority of the songs had a had a story, had a uh, had a story about the streets, had a story about what's going on and not in the fuck the police kind of way like I can't believe they're doing this to us again. Yeah. All over yeah. Compton. And, well, I see, was, and I was impressed by that. To your point, Dre, I want to take something that you said, something that James said, and put them together. You're talking about, and I try to stay away from this whole generational warfare thing, right? Uh-huh. Because people said that our generation, the Gen Xers, were the harbingers of death, and we were the super predators and all this other kind of <laughs> foolishness, right? So I try to stay away from the generational warfare and shaking my fist at these kids and screaming at them to get off my lawn. But <laughs> not me. I'll shake the fist. You you come and you come and talk to them. <laughs> but when I look Good at cop, it, bad cop. This generation is coming up behind us, the millennials, and you know, the oldest millennials are in their thirties now. But this is a generation that is so ill equipped to talk about race, racism, and systematic problems that they think that you simply discussing it means that you are in fact a racist. So they don't know, they, 
And then people want to put this whole thing, well, you know, they're young and because they're younger, they're less racist than previous generations. No, you look at the social science, you look at the survey data, they have some of the same nasty and repugnant attitudes about race as the generation before them and the generation before them. So there's nothing about being young that renders you less bigoted or, you know, less capable of being prejudiced. So when you put those two things together, a generation of people that don't know how to talk about race, racism, power, a generation of people who would rather not talk about those things and in the process kind of mask their own attitudes. Yeah, um, that creates an environment that's not exactly hospitable to yeah. socially conscious art, music, hip hop. Yeah. But, and the way Dre was describing it, um, I mean, I wouldn't want to hear, like, no one wants to hear the straight preacher rapper, Mm-mm. but right. I think the skill and the talent comes into play when you can, you know, it's like uh, mixing the medicine in with the, you know, candy or whatever, whatever you used to do, you know, putting a little bit of the... Uh, medicine in, mixing it in with the, the Kool Aid. Got the two white cups. So with yeah. that drink, could yeah. be purple, could be paint. No, see, there you go with that. I don't, lean know, I don't even know what that was. That was that was that, that lean was drink. Talk. That was drizzy. Got two white cups. Talk. With that drink, could be purple, could be paint. Talking about he on one. I don't even know where you where I would go to hear that, but. <laughs> I'm glad, dude. Drake is ubiquitous, man. I will say, th- I mean, I know who he is, but I will say this on sort of a sidebar that that back to back is the go-to disc record is clearly one of the greatest disc records. And let yep. me uh, couch this by saying, I have never and had never heard of meek mill i, I can't mm. tell you one wow. meek mill song i can't tell you who he is where he came from whatever i just Weapon know that Philly. he got murdered that song i don't know who wrote it maybe drake wrote it maybe somebody else wrote it but that's phenomenal on yep. every level now, just it will, even, even it if will stand the test of time as one of the great disc records. Even if you're talking about just the cover art of the, the Joe Carter mm-hmm. home run. Oh, come on. Mm-hmm. That, and dude, you know, that's Toronto taking it to like yeah. Philly, right? Yeah, we were in college. <laughs> I remember that. Uh, trigger fingers turned to Twitter fingers. Mm-hmm. Come on. <laughs> like I said, <laughs> I'd never heard of this other dude. And Drake, all I knew about him was Common murdered him. Um, <laughs> Which is kind of funny because wow. Drake is the evolution of Common. I could draw a line yeah. from yep. Drake to Common to what? Heavy D to what? Big Daddy Kane. What? What? Yep. Yes. Yep. Huh. Yeah, in right. terms of, dude, right. not in terms of lyricism, right? Because there's a there's a stronger track record for Big Daddy Kane and Common especially as battle rappers but they were also ladies men and in that respect they were way ahead of the curve and alienated themselves from their core audiences when they made a big transition from the battle rapper lane to the Mr. Lover Lover lane 
Drake made that transition more seamlessly and people kind of, you know, people kind of slept on him, right? Then Meek Mill gets at him and he gets back at him and it's like, whoa, where'd that come from? And so it was funny when Drake and Common are beefing and in some ways they're the same dude. How many, how many emotional black girl lost or, you know, I'm trying to say this girl rhymes, did, did Common drop? In, yeah, the light. No. Right. In the words of the yin-yang twins. In the words of the yin-yang twins. Huh? (laughs) Well, well, I'll say this. um, And, you know, kind of melding the sidebar and what we're talking about. These days, and um, our Talib Kweli said this too in an interview. These days, the audience doesn't, the audience likes to hear that their their rapper is emotional. Because we deal with a ton of emotional (laughs) ass, like, you know, I'm not, I'm not down in the millennials or whatever, but this next generation, they're very emotional. Dude, and, they, and, and, and they're and fragile. They're, right. And they're, <laughs> fragile. They're, and they're they're in they're in sync with their emotions. They're they're tapped in, they're talking about their emotions. And so the the leeway that Drake gets in making these love songs and saying, you know, these loving things and you know, and being, you know, being the hater and calling this girlfriend late at night, you know, you shouldn't be with that guy kind of stuff. This is stuff dressing that, less and going out more. Right. This is stuff that Big Daddy <laughs> Kane couldn't say. Big Daddy Kane had to come from a more macho era. And so it was the L and not and I agree with I agree with um, Adolphus. You know, it was, you know, it kind of it, it was a it, it it progressed from, you know, that era of, you know, LL saying I need love, which was a good song. He still played macho on that song, yep. but he had that he 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 had that emotion. But on that album, he was still rocking a bell. Right. And so it you know, it progressed to this this generation now where they're cool with hearing their emotion and they want to get tapped, which is why I'm kind of well, I can't say I'm surprised, which is why I think now is the time that you can say these things about politics. You can mm. say these things about how I'm feeling, which is why I think J. Cole's latest album got so much uh got so much attention because he has songs like, you know, I don't know if this song was on the album that the song, the Be Free song. Mm-hmm. When he performed the Be Free song on David Letterman, David Letterman looked so touched mm. after he performed. Like he looked like he wanted to cry. And, and J. He, Cole went to Ferguson. Right. J. Cole went Quietly, to Ferguson. Quietly he was and, in Ferguson. And tried not to let people know he was there. Right. And it, because he was J. Cole, it came out. So these kids are in tap with their emotions. They have a Drake. You know, Kendrick can be emotional. You know, um, all of these guys, they can they can you can say these things of how they make you feel, which is why I think that, you know, you might hear um people might refer to Ferguson, but I wanna hear Rick Ross, who has the, the the potential because he says some of these little things to say more political stuff, he can do it. He don't have to do trap raps. He can he can talk about some some politics, political stuff because believe it or not, he's a smart guy. Yeah, he's a smart guy. He's another one of these smart guys who's just not trying to always act smart. He's a smart and, guy. And, and and on that man, let's be clear: black excellence in the society and in hip-hop doesn't have to come from a two-year school or a four-year school, right? But now, it's something to be said when you have dudes like Chuck D or Cool Mo D or others that are coming from a college environment and right. bringing those sensitivities into their work, right? right. But, you know, I look at a dude like Jay. When, when Jay-Z wants to be that dude, he can be that dude. And the whole point is that there's an intellectual curiosity 
there's an understanding of things, right, that can lead to the production of great artwork. Remember, so, Jay's a five percenter. Jay right. who? Jay Z. Jay Z. Yeah, he's a, he's a if by five percenter you mean income bracket. <laughs> A top no, five percenter. He's a yeah. no. He's a five. He's a top five percenter. He's a, but no, but dude, mean, he would he be comes at from games wearing. He would be at games wearing the garb, man. You listen to some of his lyrics, and it's in there. But the point is, there's a curiosity, right? Right. And right. we we're at a point, man, where I really it's frustrating sometimes when you see people who you know have that spark. And they're trying to hide their light. Right. You know, they're trying to hide their light. So, you know, if, if if guys are... And this is a question that black artists have had to answer for themselves for a really long time. What is the purpose of your artwork? Do you create art simply for the purpose of creating art and you don't owe anything to anyone? All your art has to do is exist? Or does your art exist for some greater human purpose? And black artists going back through the black arts movement, the the Harlem Renaissance or the new Negro movement, they've had to answer that question. Why am I doing this? For what purpose am I doing this? And some people nowadays, it's like, y'all want to get rich. And that's cool. But when you out of here, don't get mad. <laughs> but see, I don't... You know, what you going to do when you out of here? I don't use <laughs> the word... I don't use the word art as liberally just because someone makes a rap song it's not art and I think I've drawn a distinction between uh, someone who is in the business of selling and making a product called rap music and an artist um, and I can my ear my hip hop ear is sophisticated enough to be able to tell the difference and uh you know, like you said, Jay Z when he wants to, but he had the he had the lines. I'm sure Dre uh, mm-hmm. can quote it about if if lyrics <laughs> sold truthfully, I'd probably be Talib Kweli. Right. Uh, I'd I want to rhyme, rhyme like, like common, common sense. sense. They sold five mil. I've been rhyming, been rhyming like common sense. sense. Yeah. So my argument with Jay Z has always been exactly what uh, Adolphus just mentioned that. He clearly has the potential to do better, to do more. But he found his lane and it's, you know, profitable and allowed him to venture into other areas. And that's where he stayed. So to me, he seems like a lot of wasted artistic potential. His business potential, he's maximized. His marketing potential, he's maximized. But artistically, nah. Was, what, what's crazy what? to me let me get this real quick what's crazy to me is that it seems like some of the people who are doing the courageous things that we think they should be doing or we'd like to see them do are women in R&B and I'm thinking particularly about Janelle Monet and the whole Wonderland crew they're making music like that I've never heard of the Wonderland crew and is Janelle Monet? Is she the one who was on the Pepsi commercial? Yes. Yeah. Okay. My R and B game is way, dude, non-existent. You need to get on her stuff. Well, she I'll, did. I'll, a, she, yeah, she did a track with Erica Badu that was fire. Yes. 
And I will say, and she not spit bars on that track too, and yeah. they were fire. Yeah, he uh, Adolphus properly pulled out the right R and B person because I mean I can't really get with a lot of R and B because right now a lot of R and B is is crazy. Like they like the love songs got eight billion curses in it, and, <laughs> and it, it is not even like I don't I wouldn't mind a, a rap a R and B song with a curse in it, but it's almost devoid of love. Rick James would look at this stuff like right. wow and, and, and most of it doesn't have the blues in it mm. so if it's rhythm and blues it doesn't have the blues in it it's 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 really crazy to me and I mean if we're gonna hit a R&B point um, mixed with hip hop <laughs> this, this Anderson Pack album listen to this Anderson Pack album Malibu he's a person also who has hard hitting songs he talks about political stuff throughout the album, and he wrote one of the most political songs on Dre's album, the Animal Song. Um, you know, every time we come on, you know, only time they come around is when we start fucking shit up. Talking about, you know, the only time y'all y'all want to come to the hood is when we having a riot because we pissed off something y'all did. And he has these kind of stuff on his album, and you know, mm. it's, and which is crazy. His album is incredible, but um, the Malibu album, but. People like Jay is an intellect, you know, intellectual. They 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 want to know more. They want to read. Jay reads a lot. I know this for a fact. He reads a lot. There are people who read a lot, but some of these rappers they don't want to do that. Right. And it comes out in their music. Like Adolfo said, it comes out in their music. We have a society of young people right now who are eager to comment, post on everything. <laughs> And who don't want to study or read anything. Or research anything. <laughs> Goodness gracious. The, and they're holding supercomputers that give them instantaneous access to wide information. Yeah. Everybody want to comment. Nobody want to read. The uh, democratization of opinion. Yeah. But I, I'm curious. Uh, w- you guys... Where are you going to hear this R&B? Like, I, if you told me right now, unless you gave me a specific name, then I would, like, Google that person and watch a video. But, like, you're like, oh, yeah, I heard Erica Badu and Janelle Monet. Like, where? How? How? What? Huh? <laughs> you want to answer that one, Adolphus? I can get on that one, too. I mean, I don't know. I, I like, told you, man. I'm, I work with young people okay. one of the benefits of doing what I do for a living man yeah. I get to read think write and talk and I'm surrounded by people who are going to push me to continue to learn right that if I'm going to do my job and do it well I have to continue to learn and if I'm going to connect to these people I must at least be familiar with even if I don't use them the things that are influencing their perspectives and so there's a track called Queen. So you can look this up later. And the video was kind of amazing, too. So Janelle Monae did this track with um, Eric Badu called Queen. And at the end, she goes off. It's one of the best verses on a hip-hop R&B mashup that I've heard since Lauryn Hill on Everything is Everything. She goes off like rapping or singing? Yes, rapping. Okay. Which is why I said it's one of the best hip-hop R&B mashups since Lauryn Hill on everything is everything 
And huh. when you listen to Lauren's rap verse on Everything Is Everything, she rocked it. Bomb yeah. graffiti on the tomb of Nefertiti, and she ain't ready to take it to the Serengeti. Bombs is heavy, like the Monda sister Betty. Yeah, Janelle Monet got into that territory at the end of Queen. So you need to check that. But again, I'm around young people, man. This stuff comes my way. And they know my sensibilities. They know my palate. And they're like, yo, you would like this. You need to check this out. Okay, so you have a special circumstance. For just a regular dude who's not around kids, Dre, where are you here uh, at R&B? Is there, a, what? Uh, is there even a radio station? Like, I don't... What? Well, what, well, I will, well, I will say this. I mean, I'm around kids because I do have a 16-year-old, so I got to kind of, you know, I have to monitor mm-hmm. I have to monitor. Keep a toe in. You know, I mean, yeah, I got to know what she's listening to. And, you know, one of the best things I think I may have said this on another podcast. One of the best things I ever heard her say is when she said, every time Lil Wayne gets on a song, he ruins it. <laughs> that I felt that. And I was like, well, why you, I, and, I said, and I said, well, why do you say that? She's like, she's always saying something nasty. It's disgusting. And so mm. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm, you know, I had to pat myself on the back. Okay, we're doing it right here. Yeah. Um, but also being in television and, you know, working a lot of times with, you know, the BETs, the MTV2s, I have to stay, you know, oh. what's next? What's okay. what's coming? What what are people interested in? And then on Twitter, I follow a bunch of people who are, you know, the, the quote unquote tastemakers who are always tweeting out stuff or whatever. But, and it's like Innocent Pack, I learned from, because of the, the, the Dre album, he was on that album. And I was like, who's this guy? And then uh, my wife is a big fan of Janelle Monae. So that's mm-hmm. how I was able to hear Janelle Monet and I hear some of this stuff because she's, you know, she's playing, my wife's playing mostly R&B in the house. Like she's playing R&B. She's not really playing rap. She like might get a couple songs in, but that's about it. And my kids are the 16 year old more pop, the six year old more because of me, more like old school rap and old school and, and soul. And she will listen to the pop music because it's on. But, you know, she's, She's the one that can walk into a grocery store and they're playing Fat Boys. She goes, Dad, is that the Fat Boys? Like, the force yeah. is strong in this one. Right. And I was like, exactly. I'm like, and I'm kind of impressed. Like, wow. cause I, some, sometimes she'll catch it and I won't realize it. And I'm like, oh, like, how'd you? And she hasn't heard much of the Fat Boys. One day I'm downstairs listening to music. Eric B and Rakim comes on. Um, uh, uh, Eric B for president, I believe. And she came mm-hmm. down the steps nodding her head. And she mm-hmm. looks at me and she's like, what is this? And I'm like, oh, it's mm-hmm. Eric B. and Rakim. And she looks at me like, like I was hiding the cookies from her. And she's wow. like, what, what, what are you, what is this? Why wasn't I told? Exactly. Why and she's wasn't like, and I'm like, I do you told? Want, do you want this on your, on your iPod? She's like, yes. Like, she looks yes. like, are you out of your mind? Like, Dude, so, she came at you like Neo. Wow. Yeah, I, she, I know she did. Kung Fu. She did. Right. And, so she, <laughs> and she's always been like an old soul. Like she, you know, she, she picks up on stuff. Like she can pick, she can point out. So this is how I, you know, so it's me learning, trying to learn this stuff, trying to keep a toe in, trying to, you know, inspire and influence my children so they can not listen to garbage and mm. not always watch all garbage every day. So that's how I, you know, I pick up a bunch of this stuff and, you know, try to, you know. Well, I guess know, keep I'm big. just uh, tucked away in my <laughs> hip hop Taliban cave listening to dilated <laughs> peoples and EPMD albums. Um, <laughs> class uh, wrecking crew. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> my son, he's he's fourteen, and you know, his um, if you call his phone, 
and it goes to voicemail. The message is him singing a remix of Hotline Bling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but he had a physics project, and they had to—I forget what the technical term was for the exact project—but you had to make this box, and you had to make a eye hole, and then the images you looked through, and it had to reflect off of minimum of like three or four mirrors before you get the final image and the final image was supposed to tell you about something that they're interested in and his final image was a collage of like Illmatic uh, De La Soul um, and some other classic uh, classic hip hop so I'm like yeah nice. cool so whatever else he's listening <laughs> to <do> there. <laughs> <yeah>. nice. <laughs> the indoctrination work um, socialization so I mean I don't yeah I don't I don't quiz him on like, hey, who's who's hot? Who's hot? Who's who, who's got that fire right now? I, I could care less. <laughs> no, but it's the, the conversations that I'm having with my students are more organic. Right. Yeah. So when people come by my office, you know, I try to make it clear to people like, listen, I'm a professional. I have work to do. If you want to hang out, you can go to the student union. If you <laughs> want to talk business, come see me. But, you know, we'll talk business. We'll deal with whatever concerns they might have about a course or the assignment, but you're also getting to know these people and over time you might even develop friendships with some of them, right? Right. And so they'll bring they'll bring the conversations to me and it's like, well, hey, but what are you listening to right now? Oh, have you heard of such and such or this and that or have you seen this? So yeah, um, it's, it's like this, like we're fans of professional sports, right? Mm-hmm. The 90s are over and they're right. not coming back. You right. know, Charles Barkley's 50. Yeah. You know, Jordan's 50 plus, Barkley's 50 plus. They're not suiting up again. But you're still watching the NBA. Well, how do you keep watching? Because you learn about a new generation of players. And as the game evolves and adapts, you're, you're, you've evolved and adapt. So you could appreciate Gary Payton, but you can also appreciate the genius of the Splash Brothers and Steph and Clay Thompson and the way they play ball now. And I look at it as much the same way. Um, you know, the, the artists that we grew up listening to, while they still might be making music, their time is gone. Right. <clears throat> and if you're going to remain, if you feel so inclined, engaged in the art form, you got to keep up. Well, see, here's the thing. And I mentioned this uh, earlier. I have a, a friend new music Martha and she's just a little bit (laughs) younger than us and she kind of puts me on to a lot of the underground people who are actually good because um, when I complain about the state of hip hop and things like that I'm kind of referring predominantly to the mainstream because I know uh, for a fact that if I go and uh, do a hard search Mm -hmm. online I can find lots of uh, quality uh, rappers and uh, mm-hmm. people talking about political topics, but uh, I always bring this back to the mainstream because the comparison I like to make is that when we were coming up, the mainstream was diverse, the mainstream was political, mm-hmm. the mainstream was conscious, the mainstream mm-hmm. was party music, the mainstream was mm-hmm. fat gold chains and look at my car. Mm-hmm. We've lost the diversity and the political aspect of it is just gone because as someone mentioned a while back and I brought this up before 
they they said that uh, before there was Black Lives Matter, hip hop was Black Lives Matter, and you would hear about the themes and uh, mm-hmm. what was my man in? Oh, see now I'm drawing a blank. The one who Bensonhurst, um, Yusef Hawkins. You, thank you, Yusef yeah. Hawkins. Oh, like yeah, Yusef Hawkins was in Bensonhurst. Went out there to look at a used car. Um, with some classmates and a white girl and dude stepped to him and killed him. Yeah. And, and that, that was where Al Sharpton, they almost killed Al Sharpton out there. Yep. Yeah. But I learned about him. I learned about the incident through hip hop. Like hip hop's what right. brought Amadou Diallo. Hip hop brought that to my, Mumi Abu Jamal. Hip hop brought it to my yep. attention. Yep. And so the music Asada Shakur yep thank you yep yep I definitely agree you with know, that Chuck D Chuck D you know supporter of Chesamar yeah and that was the thing like like Dre said you know when Chuck D said you know supporter of Chesamar I'm like who is that Ooh. and since since we didn't have the internet I couldn't google it so I had to just kind of like kind of ask around and people I knew didn't know and it wasn't really until I think I got to college and read mm-hmm. Asada. I was like, oh. Mm-hmm. And I was like, like I had just found Mind out. I'm blown. Yeah. And so, you know, I just don't know that what, what happened with the mainstream. And part of our investigation into what went wrong with hip hop, uh, by the way, that last episode that we that we hit on what was it 1993 yeah was that the yeah 93 that was that was very pivotal i've gone back and listened to that and uh we definitely unearthed some uh important important factors in uh hip-hop's mainstream demise but um the way this was originally going to go this discussion i'd asked uh each one of you guys to give me the name of uh, a song or two or three that really had an influence and impact on uh, you when you were coming up, sort of developing your uh, political, social awareness and consciousness, or even after that, just a hip-hop song that really had uh, an impact. And I was going to play them. I think what I'll end up doing is when I finalize the episode and get all the final editing done i'm going to put those songs in at the end so anyone who's listening can keep on listening and hear a dose of some of our favorite political conscious uh songs but um there's definitely one that i wanted to play because we we mentioned it earlier and it is as relevant today as it was when it came out in 1991 and uh that is ice cube a bird in the hand which is from the death certificate album which i maintain is the greatest hip-hop album ever and at some point on the podcast i'm going to get into get into that uh if you want to read the 20,000 uh word piece complete with video and photographic evidence you can go to greatesthiphopalbum.com 
and read why that album is I think beyond question uh, the greatest album in hip hop um, possibly in American contemporary music but I'm not familiar enough with other genres to make that claim but on the hip hop side I'm definitely going to stick with that and this song is a perfect example of why that album is so remarkable in so many ways so I'm going to play this then we'll come back in and just sort of talk about some of the other songs and uh, see exactly if we can get this worked out let's check it out bird in the hand ice cube say look at this I've been cleaning out my nest and I found an old book of my poetry school cause I was a high school grad got to get a job cause I was a high school dad wish I got paid by rapping to the nation but that's not likely so here's my application pass it to the man at AT&T cause when I was in school I got the AEE but there's no SC for this jumpster I didn't have no money so now I got a punch the clock got a slave and be happy man but whitey says there's no room for the African always knew that I would clock G's but welcome to McDonald's, may I take your order please? Gotta serve your food that might give you cancer Cause my son doesn't take no for an answer Now I pay taxes that they never give me back What about diapers, bottles, and Similac? Do I have to sell me a whole lot of crack With decent shelter and clothes on my back? Or should I just wait for help from Bush or Jesse Jackson and Operation Push? If you ask me, the whole thing needs a douche. A massive gale, what the hell crack a cell in the neighborhood? To the corner house bitches, Miss Parker, Little Joe, and Todd Bridges. Or anybody that heat up. So I caught me a bird better known as a kilo. Now everybody know I went from Poe to a nigga that got dope. So now you put the feds against me Cause I couldn't follow the plan of the presidency I'll never get love again But blacks are too fucking broke to be Republican Now remember, I used to be cool Till I stopped filling out my W-2 Now senators are getting high And you're playing against the ghetto black fly So now you got a pep talk But sorry, this is our only room to walk Cause we don't want a truck push But a bird in the hand it's worth more than a book. Ice Cube, back before he was doing comedy movies and being a. a Are we film. there yet? <laughs> Um, right along 17 grocery store. <laughs> Who's, whose list was that on? That was on my list. Yeah. And I saw that on his list and I got jealous. <laughs> like, damn, Man, you picked that one. Um, we did something in my high school where we were doing this thing about music and things that were influential or that spoke to us for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. I played that in my high school. <laughs> 
And wow. now on the other, and people were looking like, um, what <laughs> is that? <laughs> you know, it wasn't it yeah. wasn't quite the SNL sketch responding to Beyonce's formation, but it was close. <laughs> <laughs> but the then one. there were, you know, some other, you know, black and Latino cats in a room that kind of give me the fist, like solid. That's what's up. I mean, but now as an educator, like I, I, oh, go ahead, bro. No, 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 go ahead, go ahead. I teach introduction to African American studies at my university, and one of the texts that I have them read, they read Native Son by Richard Wright, and I start telling them about this literary technique where as readers we can sometimes read a text and pick up our eyes and look at our society and see things that are happening in our society that were also happening in the text. And when I look at a novel like Native Son, a character like Bigger Thomas and all of his struggles, you know, he has a lack of educational and employment opportunity. And when you listen to a song like The Message in the 80s out of New York, or a bird in a hand in the 90s out of Los Angeles, or Commons the Corner, you know, in, in the 2005 out of Chicago. You know, you're talking about across time, across space, same challenges. And right. for me, in that moment, looking at everything that was happening in my neighborhood with crack cocaine, guns, and all that other foolishness, that Ice Cube track crystallized what I was observing as a kid. Mm-hmm. And so it spoke to me, man. Like I'm like, you know what? This is exactly what's up. And I see people, you know, I say this all the time. The choices we make are limited to the choices that we have. And when you listen to the guy that he's rapping about in the record, this is someone with limited choices. And people were fine with him getting screwed over until he started slinging that rock. Right. And, <laughs> and now he's a problem. And two minutes, the song's two minutes and 18 seconds long, which is short by... St- normal even today's standards. standards yeah there's no no hook and chorus but like you said it draws the dots perfectly fresh out of school i was a high school grad had to get a job because i was a high school dad wanted to be a rapper couldn't be a rapper tried to get a job at at&t nope <laughs> Uh, got me a bird better known as a kilo what? and everybody know i went from poe to the brother that got dope yeah. So now they put the feds against me because I didn't follow the plan of the presidency. Right. Yeah, he went in. He went all the way in. And it's, I mean, <laughs> got to serve you food that might give you cancer because my son doesn't take no for an answer. Now I pay hey, taxes man. that you never gotta give me back. Taxes. What about diapers, bottles, and what Similac? A- it, like the entire album. If anybody who hasn't heard it, I mean, what in the world is wrong with you? But Ice Cube's death certificate. Don't get confused by the the comedian you saw with Kevin Hart or whoever. There was a point in time, granted, it was like 25, 26, almost 30 years ago. But there was a point in time when Ice Cube, everything that I wanted hip hop to be angry black positive uh frightening banging just everything was crystallized in ice cube he had a little moment in time and uh death certificate man if you haven't heard it come on come on what are you doing but that song and you can go through the rest of the album he really hits 
these topics in a way that sort of brings together that that street element and then that sort of East Coast consciousness that uh, Public Enemy and X-Clan had. But he puts it together in a way that isn't preachy, but it is stark and startling to some to some and uh and in some cases it's just downright inflammatory for the purpose of being inflammatory but it's pretty amazing but yeah that was a great choice right there and i mean to me it was an unflinching and uncompromising critique of the die the 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 slashing of resources for public education a lack of jobs for people in a post-industrial economy right because they tell you well go to school get an education you'll be able to get a job and he's like well i did that and i'm still unemployed or then i'm underemployed because i'm doing a job that doesn't require the level of education that i have and now i have these adult responsibilities and i'm failing and i'm trying to follow your plan but your plan is leaving us to suffer Right. And he also, you know, it's, I'm just, it's, go ahead. It's, yeah. So it's, it's a critique of, you know, the well-established conservative politics of pulling yourself up by the bootstraps. And he's like, man, I don't even have boots, but it's also a critique of bourgeois liberal politics that says, well, if you just stay in your lane and do the right thing, you can be okay. And he's like, no, it's not okay. Yeah. And he even says there's the line that's kind of slipped in is, um, uh, oh, there's no, basically there's no USC. He can't go to USC for this youngster. He didn't have any money. So now he's got a punch a clock and a slave, be a slave and be half a man. But Whitey says there's no room for the African. So it, it, it hits every single one of these points. And, you know, you change the name of the president and it's, it's could come out today. And be yeah, but again, it's it's you get the critique of the Bush, the Bush Reagan politics, right? Mm-hmm. You know, thousand points of life and yeah. war on drugs. But you also get a critique of the black establishment. Right. Do I wait for help from Bush or Jesse Jackson and Operation Push? Right. Yeah. It's like all of you have failed us. You know, yeah. you failed us because you never gave a damn, and you failed us because you've managed to monetize the struggle, and now you're up here getting rich. And I'm getting mad. You getting rich? <laughs> and so, in looking at the uh, the list, and like I said, I'm gonna tack these songs on at the end. <clears throat> um, we have self destruction, uh, which was I, I love that, and I could still recite it <laughs> word for word today. Swing. Um, <laughs> we got. A lot of public enemy on the list. Don't believe the hype. Brother's going to work it out. Um, fight the power, of course. And shout out to Rosie Perez. <laughs> um, and then there were, well, this song for me, uh, it was Stethosonic, A-F-R-I-C-A. And yeah, nice. They, that was the song that made me realize that I was anti-apartheid and I wasn't mm-hmm. really fully aware of what apartheid was. I'd heard it, but 
it was a song that they made told you all about sub-saharan africa what was going on it name checked some of the uh the different presidents and leaders and there was a video for it there mm-hmm. was a video yeah. for it on mtv so this wasn't unique this wasn't like oh look at this there's a that's a sonic video about africa and apartheid no this was just part of the mix and for that to be a part of the yo mtv raps rotation tells you a lot about uh the type of music that was being produced at the time and that yeah, song, I mean, go ahead that that song that song was like um it 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 was almost like a New York Times article mm-hmm. because it broke it broke down the political issues in specific countries like yeah. and, like down to the least which is incredible like it was just, it was incredible to to even think to write a song like that yeah and if you think about where South Africa was at that moment right that regime was losing strength. Yeah. Until the 1980 presidential election in the United States puts Ronald Reagan in office in 81, and now they have a new ally. You know, if you look at South Africa in the 80s, it's like, imagine if Jim Crow didn't get upended in the 1960s. Yep. That's what America would have looked like. Yeah. Where you had continuing a formal, legalized de jure separation of the races and a white minority with complete and total control of every aspect of that society. You know, in this society, whites were still a strong numerical majority, right? And had control over the politics, the economics of the society. In South Africa, it was even more bizarre because they were in the minority, right? But had all the power. And so that's what America would have kind of looked like if Jim Crow didn't get upended. And And so when they made that record, you know, it's one of those things, man. People talk about you think globally and you act where you are. And you might think, well, what can I do here in the United States when this is happening to people who look like me, people that I might even care about, but they're on the other side of the world. And then you get the Trans-Africa movement and divestment and then the student movement on university campuses pressing their universities to withdraw their finances from companies that do business with South Africa. They were thinking globally, acting where they were, but records like that by Stetson Sonic helped to hit people like us to something that we didn't know about. Yeah. Because I was, I mean, even today, I can run down the names of the countries in the song. When I got to, when I was doing my undergrad work in one of the um, intro to African American studies courses, they had us, we had a little quiz on countries in, uh, on the continent Mm -hmm. of Africa. And the first ones I filled in, (laughs) Angola, Mm -hmm. Soweto, Zimbabwe, Zimbabwe. Tanzania, Zambia, Mozambique, and Botswana. Botswana. So let Let us speak speak about the motherland. And so again, the fact that that, that is what hip hop did. So I I have to, you know, it goes back to what I said earlier that, you know, hip hop definitely impacted my political awareness and my overall consciousness. 
And one of the songs that I had on the uh, on my list is um, Public Enemy. By the time I get to Arizona, mm. and mm-hmm. that John video, <laughs> that video was controversial. Essentially, for those who weren't around or aware, for the uninitiated, yeah. Basically, we kind of take for granted Martin Luther King Day is a holiday, but in Arizona. <laughs> They were so racist, they didn't even want a day off. John McCain. Yeah. <laughs> that was John McCain, huh? And Public Enemy made this song by the time I get to Arizona, and uh, also a video, which I remember it was featured, how UMTV Raps would have Ed Lover and Dr. Dre during the week, and then on Saturday nights it was Fab Five Freddy. and. Right. Some and usually he'd be hanging out with the artist, and then they'd build up to the premiere of their video at the end. And the by the time I get the Arizona video, where they essentially went to Arizona and assassinated uh, a politician who was not mm-hmm. in favor of the uh, Martin Luther King holiday, extremely controversial. But you couldn't it, do that today. No. No, not at all. You couldn't make that today. No. It hyped me up so much that on that Monday, I wore my Public Enemy uh, logo shirt to school. And then in addition to that, I had we had the Africa medallions, but I have an Africa medallion that instead of the Africa thing has the Public Enemy logo on it. Oh, so I was oh. wearing my Public Enemy shirt and my Public Enemy logo. I thought you were about to say you had an Africa medallion that inside Africa had a little <laughs> Africa with the Africa medallion. <laughs> I'm black, y'all. And I'm, I'm black, black, y'all. Yeah, right? And <laughs> black of that. I'm black, y'all. I was walking through the hallway in my high school, and one of the security guards, because, yeah, I was one of those schools where we had security guards, grabbed the medallion and pulled it and held it up in such a way that I was being choked by the rope and was asking some other security guard, what is this? Because California, they assumed it was something gang related. They didn't know it was public enemy. Never asked me a question. Had me by the neck and is demanding to know what this is and never asked me. And, uh, Eventually, when they couldn't figure it out and assumed couldn't couldn't figure any gang association or affiliation, then let me go. And I brought it up to my parents, and my parents are not the ones to let something like that ride. So mm-hmm. the next day in the morning, we were back exactly. at school, and that security guard for the next three years never said a word to me. I could have been. I could have been out of class, walking the halls with a gun in my waistband and a joint in my mouth, and that security guard wouldn't have said anything to me. Um, but, you know, I come back to something Dre Cole said. Yeah. When parents are involved, yeah. teachers, administrators, resource officers, cops, treat those children differently. The presumption with young black and brown kids is that their parents are involved, their parents don't care, and so they treat them any kind of way. But when you start going to PTA meetings 
and things like that, they know, oh yeah, that's so-and-so's kid. You don't bother that kid because yeah. they're going to be there. I've observed that with my, with my children's daycare. Like they know if something comes sideways, yeah, we're going to be there. And the thing is, you don't have to worry about dealing with me. By the time my wife gets done with you, there won't be anything left. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. You know, I'm just standing in the back like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> what she said. It is, uh, it's interesting that you mentioned that because as we uh, begin to wrap this up, <clears throat> something I was going to lead with is that, uh, that I tend to mention when people ask, why isn't the podcast on a very specific schedule? I'm like, because life happens. And it's part of this whole process of hip-hop sort of um, shaping and framing my, uh, my protesting militant spirit. My son plays in a recreation basketball league, and he needed to get some extra practice in. So because of my work schedule, we were only able to go during the week uh, get to the park about quarter to seven and the park closed at eight. So we'd get there and, you know, we'd be getting our practice in. And then the uh, park workers decided that they were going to shut the park down about 20 minutes early, tell everybody to get out. Well, that's not right. But, you know, we left. We kind of complained. Um, then they did it another day like no nah, that's not right and then uh the the straw that sort of broke the camel's back they shut the park this one guy he shut the park down at 7 30 told us to get out and when i told him you know hey park closes at eight he proceeds to just shut all the lights off in the park so now it's wow. just dark so i went to him and uh complained and he started to give me some lame excuse and uh but i think this is becoming a trend i'm like the hip-hop dateline msnbc because if you recall the episode when i had the flat tire and went to the uh ford service department to ask them why i didn't have a spare tire and blah 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 I recorded their response uh -oh. and played it back. <laughs> so when I went to go right. confront the uh, the guy who shut the lights off and closed the park a half hour early, um, I recorded that. And what I'm going to play for you is the exchange we had. And then I've got something else. So this is uh, what happened. <laughs> I'm going to play this right here. Is the park closed at 8 or at 7.30? Uh, it, it no, it doesn't all depend because I checked with the recreation department. The park closes at 8. So it's right now it's only 7.36. At 7.30, you're telling people to leave the park. I mean, you could you go ahead and make a complaint if you like. I mean, what? I mean, just, I, I just follow rules. It's either that or dusk. Since it's since it's daylight saving time, it's a little bit earlier. It's probably like seven thirty. So, like it, I said, like I said, you go ahead. 
and go talk to whoever at the city council, city hall, and tell them that no end close the park at seven thirty. Why? So you just you just get to decide when you're I gonna close the park. I, I definitely do not get to decide when I close the park. Like I said, like I told you right now, is when it's dusk hours, when it's daylight savings time, we close the park at seven thirty. And that's all or, parks. And no. even our, at Rogers Anderson, we close it at 5 o'clock. They've been closed. Last two weeks, they closed at 8. Well, they must, must have not gotten the memo. Or they nope. must have not. And so then the people at the Parks and Rec, they called to check, and they said the parks closed at 8, Monday through Friday. They closed at 8. Well, then I must be must be getting the wrong information, because that's how I've been doing it. Nobody should say nothing. Is there, is there someone who told you? Like, did uh, it close at 8? That's just been, like, the um, common knowledge between the people at work like they tell me they tell me that oh uh when it's daylight saving times the parks close at 7 30 you gotta tell people to start heading out by 7 30 because it gets it gets dark faster just like uh, rogers anderson closes at five uh hopper park closes at five like it all depends on so it's eight or dusk that's what they that's what, they, that's what it is okay but this is neither one so it's not it's not eight and dusk was a long time ago well, well, dust for me, because dust, dust is up for the grabs. Like you know, it's either like dusk could be maybe seven, maybe no six. Eight. I mean, dusk is when the sun sets. That's that's dusk, and the light, the lights were on. You made a decision to like. I mean, I understand if you want to go home early because there weren't. That's definitely not a thing because I, I get paid for for what I'm here for. If I'm here for seven thirty, I get paid till seven thirty. It's not like yeah, but there's no there's no one here. It's not like. Yeah. You know, it's not like they know whatever you put I on your time sheet. No, I understand you. I understand why you're probably upset. Like I told you, you could go to the city and let them know that Noe, yeah, Noe Alonso is right. the one that closed the park at seven thirty. If it's really that. And that and that's and that's what you're saying. You're just saying you're saying that someone, one of your supervisors, said that's what time to close the park. It's not just it's not your decision. Not, it was right. someone else. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. So <clears throat> that's what this guy had to say, right? So if you could make it out, he told me, well, you can go file a complaint with the city council or somebody at city hall, you know, if you want to. And he told the wrong person that because <laughs> I took that audio and made the CD for each city nice. council member, the head oh of the goodness. parks and recreation department. And the mayor. You sent it to Ron Swanson. <laughs> I took it. <laughs> I took it right down to City Hall Monday morning, and uh, then by Monday afternoon, um, you got that man fired. Hey, hey, I I put in there. I'm not trying to get anybody fired, but they can't just shut the park off with people in the park, which they had done previously and that's another story but by monday afternoon i received this message hi this message is for mr james carter this is mayor robert pullen pullen mile in the city of lawndale i was just calling in response to your letter that you sent regarding the closing um hours at um jane adams park um i was calling to let you know that we will be um addressing the issue on with staff um, i do agree with you that um they should not at any 
for any reason be turning off the lights while there's still um, kids and patrons in the park, so we will address that. As well as the, the, the whole notion that they close down the park 20 or 30 minutes before closure time. To me, closure time is exactly what it is posted, and they should give people, you know, 15-minute warning or what have you, um, so that people will know they should start gathering their stuff or what have you um, prior to um, closing um, the gates or, you know, unlocking the gates. Um, so I do agree with you on, on those points, and we will address those points with the um, the staff. So um, thank you for bringing that to my attention. Um, you feel free to give me a call if you like. My phone number is 310-3214. This is Robert Pullen-Miles, the mayor of Londale, um, once again. Uh, thank you for um, your concern for bringing this to our attention. Thank you. Bye-bye. And we went back to the park today. <laughs> and much like that security guard, nobody said a word to us. Hey, sometimes you don't need to talk to the neck. You need to talk to the head. And I say, my parents, you know, that whole thing, like my parents clearly taught me, you know, you don't tolerate any kind of mistreatment. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that part is my parents. The part of recording this dude and trying to blow him up to everybody, that's hip hop. Yeah. (laughs) Put you on blast, homie. <laughs> you dripping with wag juice and you can't get it, get off. it off. And so uh, it's it, it's funny because and my son was there with me and I was explaining to him that you know you can't just people will give you any kind of answer as an excuse for or to rationalize their mistreatment of you when they don't respect yeah. you and you have to make them respect you. And part of that, like that's that hip hop, like the civil you rights give era. Give me my you, respect. Yeah, you you challenge. See, I see. I see something else though that's gone unacknowledged. What's that? Yeah. So the fighting spirit is from your parents. Right. The I'm gonna embarrass you is hip hop. Right. But then the part where I know how to interface with the local government to get the response that I want is your education. Yes. Yeah. Because, you know, my parents and, you know, I can think about people I grew up with, you know, back in East New York. Yeah, somebody treats you disrespectfully, you might pop off and mouth off, but then that's the end of it. Right. You know, you record it and then you post it to, you know, Vine and Instagram for labs. Right. But that's the end of it. Right. The part about education, okay, I know... Who my local? I know that there is a department of parks and recreation and tourism, and I know how to get to their website. I know who to call. I know who to contact in the mayor's office. I know how to talk to people to make people accountable for what was done to my son and I. Right. And so you did that. Yeah. And that's a that's beautiful. Education. That's a beautiful lesson for your son in being involved in his community as well. Because, like, my kids know that if something goes down at their school, if I don't go see the principal, I'm going to see the superintendent. And trust me, I go to school board meetings. When the superintendent sees me, he turns red because he's like, uh-oh, why is he here? <laughs> right. Because he because he knows I'm going to sit there and be like, now. Oh, so no, gonna, not them. Yeah, we back. Ex- exactly. <laughs> exactly. Because when it came down to whether or not my district was going to have a full day of kindergarten instead of a half day of kindergarten, 
And the superintendent was on the side of, he was trying to push for a full day kindergarten program because it's important mm-hmm. for the kids. And, you know, a lot of people came out and, you know, but every week there I was sitting in the front staring. Like, mm-hmm. and look look at the board members who were, who look like they might vote it down. Like, you go ahead and try that if you want to. Because I pay a mm-hmm. lot of taxes. I pay, I'm mm-hmm. living in Jersey. I pay <laughs> a right. lot of taxes, fam. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no way my tax dollars, my, I know where my tax dollars go. Chris All Christie got to eat. Chris, and, you, and he eat a lot. As Chris Christie see. endorsed Trump. Yeah, oh, we know politics makes strange bedfellows. We know what that's about. He looking, he looking to get out of here. He looking to go on the national stage. So uh, how how did it turn out with the uh, kindergarten? Oh, it, it was it was full day. It was full day. Okay. It was. I mean, yeah, they it was full day. I think they, you know, was, everybody voted for it except one person who I think she abstained because for her yeah. own concerns or whatever it was, but. You know, and it's but it's it's all kinds of stuff. Like it's you know, it's a consistent battle. Um, and I live in what used to be a mostly Republican town, and now it's kind of crossing over. Once, like, it's kind of getting integrated. You know, I used to be the you know, I used to be like one of few black people. Like you can come, I said before, you can come my neighborhood and be like, "Where's the black guy with dreads?" You w- drive eighteen blocks down, make a left, make a right. He lives, you know, two blocks. <laughs> like that's how it used to be in my neighborhood. Yeah. Now, you sound like you sound like. Chris Rock talk about yeah my neighbors were Jay Z, Mary J Blige, and a, and a dentist. dentist. Yeah, that's 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 kind of like what it was here, even you know without the without the famous people. But I mean, and, that, and that's the thing, like you know the community involvement and the teaching of lessons and stuff like that. And maybe your son will, you know, um, plus you because of you, you know, he'll listen to stuff. He'll have he'll have a different idea about the music you listen to. So he maybe he might like hotline bling, but you know, he'll yeah. know that he'll he'll be able to put it into perspective. And that's, well, that's the maturation of political hip hop though, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like when you look at the people that came out of the civil rights movement, some of those activists, they became the first black big city mayors. Yeah. Yep. Right. And you look at hip hop making that move too. You look at somebody like Ross Baraka in yep. Newark. In Newark. Yeah. You know, that, I, that's I know a ton of people step. meet with him, and like he's and he's he's the guy. Like he meets with a ton of people that I know, and mm-hmm. they all trying to do that same thing. Of because mm-hmm. Newark has so many issues, like it's yeah. so many issues. Um, yeah, but you know what you're gonna do, and that's important. I like that. You know what Adolphus said. You have those those three components because yeah, one of those by them in and of itself is not enough. You mm-hmm. know, nice. I know who to contact, but I didn't. I didn't think I needed to record them to get that evidence or like you said, I posted it online, but I never followed up with anybody or, you know, or I just (laughs) took the abuse and got out of the park early. Um, Right. Because if if you want to go, you know, to some of the baser elements of hip hop, you record it, you check dude's chin and then start screaming, (laughs) world star. (laughs) Right. (laughs) <laughs> right, so, and then yeah. people start making video memes of dude getting knocked out. Yeah, you know, that, splicing in clips from Friday talk about damn. And the thing is, like, while we're laughing about it, that's I'm sure that is the process of uh, resolution that a lot of this generation would have because there's no guidance and. Right. You know, where do they get their cues? Well, <laughs> from the internet. World right. star. Right. So. 
so hopefully with Black Lives Matter and and all the things that are going on with this with with this generation and you know them seeing people being active, maybe it'll be cool again. You know, maybe Beyonce doing formation makes it cool again. Maybe Kendrick going on the Grammys and doing what he did makes it cool again. And so maybe you know maybe in a couple years time maybe people will say we'll, we'll stop being scared maybe people will, it'll be cooler you know talk about the stuff and it'll be cooler you know do more than just you know talk about the, how bad the cops are and they'll you know keep doing different things and talking about different things well Hopefully. i'll keep and hope before, alive <laughs> and before you can get on this idea that you can change the world sometimes you got to change yourself yeah, yeah. And that's the whole point of the conversation, right? That we can read things, we can experience things, we can listen to things that might get us to believe that we can be something more than what we are in this moment. And that if we touch something, we can change something. Well, trust me, if if, if Trump becomes president, they will have their Ronald Reagan moment. <laughs> yeah. Where they, they see what the president can do to a community Mm-hmm. Because you know, right now we're spoiled. You know, you know, it's not all good, not all good, not hood with the president that we have now. But we we know what it can be, and I definitely know from Giuliani what it can be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, on that note, uh, like I said, I'm gonna put the uh, some of these songs. I'm gonna slap these on to the end of the podcast here. And uh, once again, I appreciate you guys taking the time out. And pretty soon, we're going to have to get back to 1994 and continue our our investigation, which is, I think, 19 the 1993 episode is going to be the key piece in this puzzle. And then I have a feeling it's going to start going downhill very quickly. But uh, yeah. but Joe, I'm gonna be up in there sweating like a whore in church. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> I mean, I know what I know what it means, but I don't know what it meant and how it related to the thing. But okay, the people yeah. who are about to be indicted by our forthcoming analysis. Oh, okay, them. I thought you meant us. Yes. I'm like, what did I do? No, they. <laughs> The people we are coming for. Oh, okay. Who yeah. didn't sin for us, but we are coming for them nonetheless. I like it. I like it. <laughs> they gonna they gonna hit a, the creak of the bike coming down the block. You got my forty, homie. <laughs> they better tuck in their chain. <laughs> tuck in your chain. <laughs> well, Mama gave me that chain. <laughs> what chain? <laughs> my <bike>. chain now. <laughs> what bike? <laughs> oh man. <laughs> All right, so on this Friday night, I'm going to say thanks and peace. 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 One two one two one two one two. This is JC, aka the Hip Hop Taliban. Back as promised, I am slipping into DJ mode, and I'm gonna play three songs taken from the 
list that uh, myself, Professor Belk, and East Coast Dre uh, put together <clears throat> when we were making a list of uh, hip-hop songs that helped sort of shape our social and political views when we were coming up. And I don't want to make this too long. Um, I will probably put uh, the full list uh, in the show notes on uh, at theliberator.com, T-H-A-L-I-B-E-R-A-T-O-R.com. And you can go there and click on the Get Off My Lawn podcast section and you can find all of the episodes there uh, to download but what you'll also find on the site are uh, little additional uh, pictures and tidbits and other information of things that we referenced on the podcast so for example if you wanted to see the public enemy Africa medallion that I rocked in high school and got held up by the (laughs) strung up by the security guards I'm going to have a picture of that and uh, who knows you when you go there and you look through the list you'll see all kinds of different things that we've referenced on various podcasts so uh, without further ado going to get into these three songs and the first one is AFRICA by Stetsasonic and we referred to this um, song often oh and what will also be on the Liberator uh, Get Off My Lawn podcast page for this episode is I found the the vinyl single for for this record and it's very interesting because on the back side of the uh, record sleeve is or jacket is a map like an infographic that explains and kind of breaks down uh, apartheid in South Africa and sub-Saharan Africa it also has information on how to become involved in the anti-apartheid movement and it even mentioned that uh, proceeds uh, and royalties from the song were going to be directed to an African humanitarian fund. So it really highlights exactly how uh, political that mainstream hip-hop was. And as I mentioned in the podcast, it this song and the accompanying video were in normal rotation on Yo MTV Raps, which was pretty much the guide and standard for what was hot in hip-hop back in the day. So, that's going to be the first song. After that will be Public Enemy, Brothers Gonna Work It Out, and... Anytime you're talking about political hip-hop, I mean, Public Enemy is the de facto political hip-hop group. They they set the mark. Uh, 
that others have been trying to reach and now I don't know if there are that many people trying to reach it but nevertheless the bar is set very high by Chuck D, Flavor Flav and Terminator X so we're going to get into uh, one of their songs we could have picked one of many and then the last song is going to be In the Ghetto by Eric B and Rakim and Rakim had a lot of conscious lyrics. He's not exactly the first person you think of when you think about uh, political lyrics, but he has quite a few uh, sprinkled throughout his catalog. So those are the three songs we're going to get into. I'm going to just play them back to back to back and um, catch you all on the next episode of the podcast. Thanks for listening. Peace. Mugabe's in Tanzania. Mugabe's in Tanzania.
was hard And the ones who survived that got brainwashed From lightning and thunder Hail to storm We could never forget Cause the struggle lives on Release the chains The history will burst Mandela, Mugabe, he's first Freedom power This hair is Africa's hour The unforgotten people win our Angola, Soweto, Zimbabwe, Tanzania, Zambia, Mozambique, and Botswana. So let us speak about the motherland. And sisters across the sea I'm speaking for the state And we make a plea To fight apartheid Everybody To fight against the wicked And help Mugabe To fight apartheid And assist Nairi Support the MK and the ANC We want to see Nelson and Winnie free You don't know You need to study And when you do We're sure you'll agree They need help But so do we Them with their government Us and men
piece of this rock Indestructible soul Answers to this prison To the brothers in the street School And the prisons History shouldn't be a mystery Our story's real history Not this story We're gonna work it out One day till we all Get paid The right way in full No bull Talking, no walking Driving, arriving And styling Tell them soon you'll see What I'm talking about One day The brothers gonna work it out
and never get scarred I'm guard for the scenes like I'm locked in hell Looking over the edge, but the R never fell A trip to slip, cause my nights got grip Stand on my own two feet and come equipped Any stage I'm seen on, a mic I fiend on I stand alone and need nothing to lean on Going for self with a long way to go So much to say, but I still flow slow I come correct and I won't look back Cause it ain't where you're from, it's where you're at Even the... From New York and return through the wound of the world as a thought Thinking how hard it was to be born Me being queen with no physical form Millions of cells with one destination To reach the best part is life creation Nine months later, a job well done Make way, cause here I come Since I made it this far, can't stop now There's a will and a way And I got the know-how to be all I can be and more And see all the is to see before I'm called to go back to the essence It's a lot to learn, so I study my lessons I thought the ghetto was the worst that can happen to me I'm glad I listened when my father was rapping to me Cause back in the days they lived in caves Exiled from the original man and straight away Now that's what I call hard times I'd rather be here to exercise the mind Then I take a thought around the world twice From knowledge to form back to knowledge precise Across the desert that's hot as the Arabian But they couldn't cave me in Cause I'm the Asian Reaching for the city of Mecca Visit Medina Visions of Nefertiti Then I seen her Mind keeps traveling I be back after I stop and think about the brothers and sisters in Africa Return the thoughts through the eye of a needle For miles I fought and I just fought the people Under the dark skies On the dark side Not only there but right here's an apartheid So now is the time for us to react Take a trip through the mind And when you get back Understand your third eye seen all of that It ain't where you're from It's where you're at Even the My name on next My trademark was left Throughout the projects I used to get rich When I played CeeLo When I roll four, five, six, They go weedo So I collect My cast and slide I got my back My guns on my side It shouldn't have to be like that I guess it ain't where you're from It's where you're at Even though no. Nobody's 